Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Hey everybody, before we start this episode, I just want to let you know that I'm excited about a new partnership I made with one of the greatest podcast companies in the world, Wondery, and I'm really excited about what the future is going to bring. I'm going to launch my first episode with them on December 4th with Caitlyn Jenner. It's probably the only 90-minute interview she ever did except for with Diane Sawyer. So it's going to be a big, big show. We're launching with the company December 4th, and I'm really, really happy. But before I launch, I thought I could ask you a favor. They want to help get to know my audience better. And so with this new company... Uh, They wanted me to do a little something with you guys so they could get to know my audience better. And as you know, as a podcast, Industry Standards competing with all of our shows all over the map. And there's over a billion podcasts probably that have been heard and seen. And so I was hoping that you guys could take a quick survey to help the people at Wondery get the information they need from me. It only takes a few minutes of your time. And all you have to do is just do it straight from your smartphone. It's so easy. So if you could help me out and support the show by doing this survey, it would mean a lot to me. So you just go to Wondery.com, W-O-N-D-E-R-Y.com slash survey and fill it out. That's Wondery.com slash survey. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You are about to listen to an original episode of Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of upcoming shows, go to barrykatz.com. After you finish the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to it, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it sucks. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. This episode today is another one of uh, a select few of unusual podcasts that I'm presenting in lieu of the 54th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's assassination. As you know, I've uh, done a lot of work on this. 
I have no dog in the fight, but as you know, I love great stories and the stories of the people who have been involved behind the scenes and uncovering the truth about this stain in American history and the world. They're just incredible people. And what I'm about to present to you today is an interview with former FBI Special Agent Zach Shelton, who is one of the foremost experts on the JFK assassination. And what I'm going to present to you is actually the full interview that I did with him for my documentary that came out in theaters last spring called I Killed JFK. And in the film, only about 10 minutes of this interview was shown. And what you're about to hear is the full, unedited interview I did with Zach. It was done via Skype, so you're going to notice that the audio is not great and the quality is not wonderful, but a lot of these people have been around a long time, and the only way that I was able to get them was through these Skype interviews. My apologies if it's not the perfect quality, but it makes up for it in the content, which is so extraordinary, so groundbreaking, and is going to shock you. And when I think about Zach Shelton, I think of a guy who's dedicated his entire career since he retired from the FBI to figure out the truth. And this is a man that's been involved in many different levels, in many different areas of government. And he started working under J. Edgar Hoover when he was 20 years old. So, this is a man who's highly credible. He's not out hawking a book. He has no reason in the world to tell you anything except the truth. He has no reason at all to tell you anything except what has been on his mind for all these years the people that he's talked to, the interviews he's conducted. I know Malcolm Gladwell said if you do 10,000 hours, you become an expert in your craft. Well, Zach Shelton never started his career hoping to be an expert on the JFK assassination. But I can guarantee you he's spent well over 10,000 hours working on figuring out what happened, why it happened, and trying his best to get the truth out to the American people and the world. He has dedicated his life to this, and he is a very, very, very special man. And I tell you one thing that he showed me throughout the process and talking to him beforehand and doing pre-interviews, he showed me that he was a man who had a commitment to one goal, and that goal is to figure out what happened, why it happened, how it happened, 
and to disseminate the information to as many people as possible. And he is so dedicated and so committed to figuring this out and getting the information necessary to make sure that there's a credible argument so that anybody who listens to him can understand what happened and why. So when I think about Zach Shelton and I think about the dedication and the commitment to excellence that he's had in terms of trying to find out the truth and turning over every stone, dotting every I, crossing every T. This man has the drive that I've never seen before when it comes to finding out the truth. And I think to myself, if I could have that kind of commitment and drive that he has, and I think about everybody else out there in whatever job you're in, I can guarantee you that you'll have an enormous shot at having a great career like Zach Shelton has. And here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Let's get right to it. This is a really special episode. You're going to really enjoy it. Uh, coincidentally, during the week of the 54th anniversary of the JFK assassination. And so, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest... And I can guarantee you, you are going to think things that you've never thought before. You're going to be blown away like you've never been blown away before. And this man may just change your whole opinion about what happened on November 22nd, 1963. All right, Zach Shelton is a retired FBI special agent who is considered to be one of a handful of people in the world that is a foremost expert on the JFK assassination. He started his career as a laboratory aide in the FBI in 1970 under the legendary J. Edgar Hoover when he was 20 years old. When Hoover died in 72, Zach moved up the ranks and became an FBI agent in 1973 after graduating from Loyola University, New Orleans. He spent the next 28 years in law enforcement with the FBI, spending much of the 70s and 80s working against organized crime in Chicago. Additionally, he is universally considered to be the driving force that put James Files the only living person in history to ever admit to killing John F. Kennedy behind bars. 
Although retired from the FBI, Shelton is currently the president and owner of Z. Shelton and Associates, a private investigative firm in Texas. But he has spent the last 20 years investigating the assassination of JFK, which he continues to this day with the conviction that he had the first day he started. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, a true honor, Zach Shelton. Barry, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. First thing I'm going to ask you, how is it possible that in 50 years, there's not one piece of evidence that people are able to see anywhere in the world that supports anything in the form of written evidence? Is there a lot of written evidence out there that's about to be uncovered this year? And if so, why do you think there hasn't been anything readily available to anybody in the public eye? Well, Barry, I, I, there's a lot of evidence out there, as both you and I know, because you've been involved in this uh, for about 10 years. But uh, there, there's that we're going to get into today uh, that it's definitely been out there. The reason why is uh, is because of the cover-up that was initiated at that time and that permeated throughout these years. And I always say the power that uh, was prevalent then is still in power today. And uh, they, they do not want the truth to come out. Why do you think in all these years there's no one who sold out or no one who gave anything out that we could actually see? As you know, I worked the mob in Kansas City and Chicago. And as I would say it, it, there was a conspiracy to commit murder. There was a conspiracy to hit so-and-so, Tony Spilatro, any other mob figure. Well, there was, there was a contract. The person gave the contract. There was the hitman, or there was the guy that actually did it and the guy that set him up. So you got at least two or three people there in conspiracy. Well, when I hit Chicago in 1978 and worked gang killings, there were at least hundreds of murders that were not solved. And the reason being is none of these people would talk. But, you know, people say nobody has spoken, nobody has come out, and that's not true. Uh, we have uh, people that I've come up with within themselves that uh, now are coming forth that, uh, such as, uh, uh, well, you got the Giancanas, you got Files, you have uh, uh, some other associates I have talked to that, Nicoletti confessed to, but, but nobody would listen. Uh, FBI agents I talked to said, well, that guy gave me that information years ago. Well, how come you didn't do anything with it? Because we thought it was, B, you know, we thought it was BS. Uh, I, as an FBI agent, I became an agent in 1973. Hoover was a god. You didn't question Hoover. And the FBI did their job in 1963, and you weren't going to convince me otherwise. Lee Harvey Oswald, one assassin, three shots from the rear, until I ran into the comment that James Files made, and then uh, upon my retirement started looking into it. And it's amazing, once you, once you get the facts, you see a conspiracy, you have to convince a person that hopefully today watch this and have questions, you first of all have to convince them there's a conspiracy. And we will talk in the one question I gave you, 
about the, the two people, uh, uh, the one guy that's in the documentary that, uh, I mean, you can't help but believe the guy. And based on him, they sh he shows there's a conspiracy and, and a cover-up. In your expert opinion, who actually shot JFK? And do you believe that James Files delivered the fatal shot? Okay, that, that's a very good question. I'm going to answer it very honestly. Uh, I came up with James Files, as is in the documentary, with, by his one comment, if the American people really knew what happened, they wouldn't be able to handle it. Uh, Files told various individuals uh, prior to me uh, receiving that comment, an undercover agent and a source, uh, said it again to another person that passed it on to another agent. And after talking to Files and after looking at the evidence, three things happened relating to Files. He took the shot and he's telling the truth. He actually took the shot behind the picket fence of where the House Select Committee through the acoustics test put a, put a shooter. He was with Nicoletti when Nicoletti shot, and he put the weapon in his own hand and claimed that he shot. Or number three, he wasn't even there, and Nicoletti regurgitated everything that happened that day. I'm the opinion, uh, I don't totally discredit the fact he put, discredit the fact that he pulled the trigger. Uh, I'm more apt to believe that he was with Nicoletti and Nicoletti took the shot and he's saying he did, uh, but I don't know if we'll ever know there's, uh, there's, he was there. Let's put it that way. I don't believe Nicoletti regurgitated the information at a later time and, and files remembered it all because there's too much facts in his story that fit. But as far, I don't think any of us will ever be able to say 100% that he took the shot. You believe that he was with Nicoletti at the time of the shot. And if that's the case, it appears in the Zapruder film that as Kennedy comes out of the obstructed sign, he's got that universal symbol when somebody gets hit in the back or by the spine with their hands by their throat. And then it appears about four seconds later that he gets hit in the top of the head with a bullet. There's a spray and the head goes forward. And then it appears that there's another shot that goes in through the side of his head where the head gets blown back. So if you're saying that Chuck Nicoletti was with Files, then who was in the other building, presumably the Dal Tech building or maybe the school book depository. But somebody took shots from the back. So if you think that Files was with Nicoletti, where were they? But, you know, we, we, we both make a move and we both be uh, czars as far as uh, the JFK, if we had those answers. Uh, I don't think we'll ever find the answers. There's, uh, I'm going, there's the guy in Bauer in the uh, the tower, the railroad tower there in New York, that saw two individuals, saw the uh, the description of an not an older gentleman, an older gentleman and a younger gentleman, answering the description of Nicoletti and Files that the older gentleman took the shot, threw the weapon to the younger gentleman who put it in a a case and what they walked off in different directions. 
there's the same story, the, uh, another witness saying the same thing, uh, the, the deaf and dumb guy on the overpass, uh, I, I forget his name, I'm getting a little old, and uh, he says the same thing with the same description. Now, that could be Nicoletian Files. Who took the shot from Maria, I don't know. But as, as you just mentioned, there was definitely two shots to that head, definitely a shot from the rear, split second before the shot from the uh, grassy knoll. There, there were two entries to that head. If you watch this as a real film, you're right. You see the head going down and then it pops, it pops to the left and back. Let's talk about the aftermath of that and all the controversy surrounding the autopsy and the potential cover-up from the people who were involved. And as we all know in life, the people who cover things up are the people who did the crime or orchestrated the crime. So why is the report and testimony of Jim Seabird and Francis O'Neill, who were the FBI agents that viewed the autopsy in Bethesda, so important to the understanding of solving this case? To start at step one is to show individuals, uh, uh, show, the, show the jury that there was a conspiracy. And this, these men's report, I, uh, I was in the home of Jim Siebert. Uh, I talked to Francis O'Neill on the telephone and the difference between the two, uh, Siebert didn't make any excuses about what he saw. He, in uh, Barry, you had to be there. He knew why I was coming. He knew what were we were gonna talk about. He's a decorated World War II veteran. He was in the FBI 20-something, 20 25, 26 years. He was 82 at the time I interviewed him at his home. And uh, the whole time he knew I was there, knew what I was doing, researching the JFK assassination. And his eyes were asking me, tell me what happened because I've been living this lie all this time. And if you notice, when you talk about uh, our inspector lying in his report to the Warren Commission, uh, about these guys didn't take any notes and basically they never testified for the Warren Commission. And uh, you can tell the cover up was in place, but their report, number one, is the shot from the rear did not go through Kennedy, did not hit him in the neck. Of course, we know now it's five and a half to six inches below the neckline is where the bullet ended, one, one to two inches to the right of the spine. Well, the thing about this, this bullet and this wound is it went two inches and the path stops. Now, where the bullet is, I don't know. Is it the, is it the bullet found on the stretcher, uh, on this vacated stretcher? I don't know. But their testimony is so precise as to who left the room, who came in the room, what they saw. The whole back of the head is blown out. There's nothing in the back of the head. And he knows that's an exit wound. He knows that's an exit wound, plus the fact that the bullet was moved by Gerald Ford up to the neck to make the magic bullet theory work. Well, guess what? A bullet never went through the body except the head. So therefore, there's no such thing as a magic bullet. So if you believe these two agents' testimony, it proves, number one, there was more than three shots because James Tigg never went away. There was a missed shot. So that it, they have to have four shots. So now you've got to get 
all these wounds into three shot uh, into two shots basically so i even i've already talked to jim siebert i called francis o'neill and he's old company line and and i said do you stand by your report francis and uh, he said, yes, I do. I said, well, if you stand by your report, there's four shots. No, there were only three. I said, there's got to be four. There's a missed bullet. And there's the shot that didn't penetrate the body below the neck in the back. And then there's the head shot. And then there's Conley. So there's four shots. He said, no. I said, well, how do you explain the missed shot? And he actually went to the extent that, uh, well, the scrapnel came out of the neck pieces of scraps and came out of the neck and went down uh, the road and, and hit the concrete and came up. And I, I didn't argue with him anymore, that poor guy. So uh, he was still trying to say there was three shots, but uh, Jim Siebert, no doubt, knew that it was gotta be four shots. And you know that Jager Hooper read the report. All inspector lied about him. They never testified for the War Commission. So you, you have the conspiracy and you have the cover-up all in that one report. They say, go to the videotape. You got the most watched short film in the history of the world, the Sapruder film. It clearly shows frame by frame that Kennedy was shot by more than one bullet. The Warren Commission report comes out. There's God knows how many people working on that. You got Congress, the Senate, you got everybody in government, you got everybody in the world, everybody's seen the film. And then they say a single bullet went through here, down here, around here, there. I don't understand how an intelligent person in their right mind could think that they could sell that to the American people. How is that possible? The media? just down our throats anytime there's anything up. Uh, I mean, I sat uh, the 50th and watched everything on TV that night, and, and I, I almost puked. Uh, I was really down uh, as to, you know, showing all about Lee Harvey Oswald being the lone assassin, and nobody was investigating. In fact, uh, who's the Buchanan was on with uh, a number of uh, experts. I think Hale Boggs' daughter, I forget her name now, but they're discussing, and one thing Buchanan said, he said, uh, all these years, 50 years, if there was a hint of conspiracy, it would have been brought out by now. But there's one thing I never did understand. We had expert after expert do, tried to do the three shots in the amount of seconds, and there was no one that we could do it. And I came out of my chair saying, well, guess what that tells you? It can't be done. And why, why can't you see that? And, and, and they, I guess, I don't know. It's frustrating, Barry. It's frustrating. And what stands out to you most that concerns you about the investigation of the Warren Commission with all the indiscretions? If there's one thing that blows you away more than what we've talked about, and then what stands out most to you about all of your investigations? Well, I guess the biggest thing is, is still on the Francis O'Neill and Jim Siebert's uh, report and the fact that they were never called before the Warren Commission is it, just mind-boggling to me that you, find, you have two FBI agents 
and you have the death of a president, the, the assassination of a president, and you don't call these guys to put them on record, it's just mind boggling to me. Uh, the number two thing, they never looked at a conspiracy. Uh, conspiracy never entered into the picture. They bypassed the mob. They bypassed the calls that Jack Ruby made to, uh, to the mob uh, during that period of time. It, it's unbelievable uh, how many calls that Ruby made. In fact, uh, one of the things we'll, we'll go back and forth in my investigation. Uh, I went to talk to Chauncey Hoke's daughter in San Diego, California. While I was there, there was an ex a former FBI retired that I worked with in Chicago. So I decided to have lunch with him. And he uh, asked me the question. He said, what are you doing here? Well, I told him for two reasons. Number one, because he asked. And number two, I wanted to see what kind of feedback I'd get from him. So I told him. And he looked at me. He said, Zach, he said, I, I would say you're crazy except for one thing. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, you remember Pindorf. Pindorf was an uh, abbreviation for the uh, Alan Dorfman investigation. Of course, Alan Dorfman was uh, assassinated there in, in the suburb of Chicago. He was uh, part of the Teamsters uh, getting the money to the mob, for strong, the, the casino, the skim money coming out of Las Vegas. And uh, they killed him. And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, there was a phone call made to Barney Baker. Uh, Barney Baker was the uh, confidant chauffeur of uh, Jimmy Hoffa. And he, of course, Hoffa was missing. And this is back in 80, 81. And he was the same thing for Alan Dorfman. And he said, Dorfman, I mean, Barney Baker was talking to an individual, telling him how many calls or being in conversation with Jack Ruby during that time. And he says, it struck me funny because the FBI and the War Commission said there was no mafia ties or crime ties to Chicago with Jack Ruby. And he said, I know that's a lie. I traveled to Chicago two weeks later. And uh, when I got back from San Diego, I kind of went, uh, who in the heck do you think you are? I said, there's got to be other agents, former agents out there that work the mob that has information. So when I Arrived in Chicago, I had breakfast with at least six to seven former FBI agents, uh, guys I used to work with, and I told them my story, and uh, unbelievable to me, they started giving me leads. One being the uh, agent that was trained by Jim Siebert, uh, gave me the lead on him, and that's when I just got him in, uh, in his home. And then another agent uh, told me about his brother being undercover against Carlos Marcello, who told me a lot of good things about his meetings with Carlos and his comments. Uh, another one gave me a guy, a mob figure, uh, and I traveled and met with him. And he basically told me how Nicoletti you know, told him that he was in Dallas that day and shot the president's head off. And uh, uh, it was just amazing. And, Former FBI agents that worked organized crime, when I tell them the story, uh, agents deal in facts. They don't deal in theories. And when you tell them the facts, they kind of look at you and go, wow, tell me how this thing progresses, will you? This is very interesting. So I, I was able to get uh, leads from uh, former FBI agents. And uh, I guess that is one thing that sticks out in the investigation, how amazing that was to me. because. You don't realize how hard it is to be a person to say uh, we we didn't do our not that we didn't do our job, but uh, the facts are different than uh, 
than what I thought. So in essence, what do you feel Jack Ruby's role was in this day and this event? You got the guy who's running the local strip club involved in the day's festivities and a few days later involved in killing Oswald in a police station. Who walks into a police station and kills somebody? You can't even kill somebody in broad daylight or at nighttime without getting caught. This guy's shooting somebody. He knows he's going to go away unless somebody's saying to him, hey, don't worry, you're killing the guy who killed our precious president. You're going to be taken care of. We're going to figure it all out. But why is the guy who runs the strip club so prominently involved in this thing? Aren't there other people who are well-trained that can be involved in something like this? Well, Jack Ruby was the man with the contacts as far as with uh, the Dallas Police Department. He knew a lot of the a lot of the officers uh, were patrons of his his club. The, uh, he was banned from Chicago way back in the 40s. Uh, contractors put out on him, but they let him go and go go to Dallas. And he kind of headed up, uh, you know, the numbers and, and the prostitution in, in Dallas, Texas, so they knew they could count on him. He had ties with New Orleans, with Marcelo, but definitely ties back to Chicago because one of his calls is to Lenny Patrick. Lenny Patrick, a known hitman from the Chicago mob. In fact, Lenny Patrick, another agent I talked to, former agent, uh, Lenny Patrick cooperated with the FBI and he had uh, Lenny Patrick by himself one day and, and said, just for the heck of it, because it mentioned the, the assassination of Lenny Patrick basically said to him, we did it, but this is a person that Jack Ruby called. So he was very important. There were tons of phone conversations, or let's see, telephone calls to no mafia people uh, in New Orleans, in uh, Florida, and also in Chicago prior to the assassination, up to about uh, five to seven days prior to the assassination. And then you have individuals, mafia figures showing up in Dallas, of which seen with Jack Ruby. I mean, the testimony of James Files, uh, the sightings of uh, at the Cabana Hotel with, with, uh, with Jack Ruby and other known mafia figures. Uh, he is very, well, no doubt, was given the task to get to, you know, clean up the situation with Oswald. There's no, just no doubt about it. That's, he was very important that time. What do you think Oswald's assignment was that day? I personally don't believe he took one shot, but he is definitely a part of this whole thing. What his part was, I don't know. And I can't tell you. I, I would like one day to be able to know that. But I, I, can, uh, I can tell you at this point, I don't know. But I know the ties that's, that he had with the uh, agency, the ties... Uh, uh, I always say, how did a man that's uh, defected to Russia be able to get back into the country so easy as he, him and Maria did uh, at that particular time, you know, when uh, the FBI basically knew everything that moved. And of course, he was a source for the, uh, for the FBI. But uh, another thing that's very interesting, Barry, that I came up with 
you know, there's uh, stuff that hit uh, recently about uh, Russia's uh, play in this and that they controlled Oswald and they were part of the, uh, you know, part of the conspiracy. Of course, there's all kind of conspiracy theories out there. But one thing that one of the agents told me in Chicago is that he reviewed uh, a lot of the files, uh, putting a ca case together called Family Secrets that, that was prosecuted back in 04, 05. And when he did, he came across uh, some information that Tony Ocardo sent $100,000 to Mexico City in September of 1963 to support, uh, to support something. Well, that happens to be the time of Oswald going down to Mexico or reports of him going to the Russian embassy. Now, what's that all about? Uh, you know, how come things like that would investigate that uh, you have information no matter how credible, uncredible it was, but every, evidently nothing was done on that information. But don't you, would, wouldn't you think, Barry, that that's some pretty important information? That the head of the mob of Chicago was sending $100,000 down to Mexico City to support an operation? Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I am really, really excited. We have a sponsor, AquaTrue. This is the first countertop water purifier using multi-stage reverse osmosis technology. I know it sounds complicated, but let's put it this way. This is something that can take your tap water and can turn it into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You're going to be enjoying the best water, the safest water. And if you haven't read all the news about Flint, Michigan, in every single state, there's over 100 chemicals found in tap water that are not even regulated by the EPA. Many of them are cancer-causing and have lead in them. So you can go to a special website that we've set up called industrystandardwater.com. It takes you directly to the AquaTrue site. And if you get this product, you're going to get $100 off. Just type in 100 in the special code section. You'll get that money off and you'll start saving. You can put a whole huge bottle of Diet Coke in this machine. And 10 minutes later... It'll come out with the best tasting water you've ever had. I got one of these products. It was unbelievable. IndustryStandardWater.com. 
and you'll be enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever tasted. Since the making of this documentary, I'm sure you've received a lot of new information. Tell our audience what I'd like to call some holy shit moment stories that they may not know about the assassination of JFK that you found out that you can share with us tonight. Well, it, it's just, you know, I tell people that this whole investigation or this whole thing is a, is a jigsaw puzzle. You throw all the pieces on the table. You grab a piece over here on the far end of the table on your right. You grab a piece on the left. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, you look at that piece, it means nothing. But once you start putting that puzzle together, all of a sudden the picture appears. So I'm still gathering pieces. I still have calls from people. I had one today about someone that, that we should interview. But uh, two amazing things happened to me to know I'm on the right track. And it, it had nothing to do with that particular day. It has to do with the individuals involved. There is... Uh, very influential. They're dead now. So I, I, you know, I can talk about them there. There's, uh, well, I won't mention their name, but there, there were four guys, four brothers, very got, I mean, very influential money wise in Southeast Texas that came from Chicago. Uh, in fact, they owned a piece of Caesar's palace uh, way back in the sixties. And if you own that, uh, you, you gotta be mopped in that. And I had a call, after I retired from the FBI to do some work for one of these guys. And I, I thought uh, they found out I was doing the JFK thing and they were gonna ask me questions or whatever, but it was legit. I was in the phone book under uh, FBI, former FBI nationwide contacts. And I asked him the question, uh, who do you think shot JFK? And his immediate answer with no hesitation was, well, LBJ. And I said, well, why LBJ? And he says, I'm going to tell you a story that a businessman in San Diego, Texas, Marsh Jaffe, told me and my brothers that he would go to New Orleans, Louisiana, and pick up bags of cash and bring to Lyndon Baines Johnson in Dallas, Texas, or, you know, bring it to him. And I said, no, he, didn't, he didn't say Dallas, Texas, but bring to Lyndon Baines Johnson. And I says, well, that's very interesting. I said, uh, was that when he was senator, vice president, president? He said, Zach, I want to say it was when he was president. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. And as I went home, I'm, I'm just so excited. I couldn't wait to get home and Google this guy who had numerous references to Carlos Marcello, CIA, bag man for LBJ. And I said, what do I have here? And Next week, I was in his office, and I told him, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm doing a documentary and research on JFK, and the one comment you told me, would you mind me filming you for that comment that this guy went to Carlos Marcello and delivered bags of cash to Linda Baines Johnson? And he said, uh, no, wait a minute, he's dead, Zach. He says, but his son is living, and he called his son, and he put him on voice phone. You know, hands-free phone. I can I can hear him. And he knows I'm there. He says, hey, I got Zach Shelton in front of me. He's former FBI. He's doing some work for me. And he asked me about uh, the assassination. He's doing some research. I told him about your dad going to 
New Orleans and picking up bags of cash from Carlos and bringing it to LBJ. And he went, yep. Well, I'm here to tell you, having done what I've done for all those years, you don't set something like that up. That happened. And his first comment, if it wasn't true, should have been, what in the heck are you talking about? Get out of here. That's a joke. But he went, yep. So I take that as true. Another piece of the puzzle. But there's another gentleman down in Southeast Texas who happened to be a congressman for years, who happens to be in the photograph on Air Force One to the right of LBJ as he's sworn in. I was told that he, he was in the limo directly behind Johnson, which is about, what, three, four limos behind Kennedy when the shot occurred. And he told someone that he knows there was a shot from the grass knoll because he was a former Marine and he knows gunshots. And I knew this gentleman and I contacted a family member of his and said, hey, I'd like to talk to him about the assassination, November 22nd, 1963. You think he'll talk to me? And the individual called me back. Yeah, I called a secretary and make an appointment. I called at 10 o'clock. The secretary called me back in five minutes and said, he will see you at one. I said, well, that's pretty quick. So I went there, and he is standing outside of his office waiting on me because he knows what I want to talk about. And he looked at me about 15 to 20 feet away as I'm approaching him and said in a gruffy voice and a glare to me, what do you know? And when I got up to him, I shook his hand and said, Congressman, I want to know what you know. And we went in his office, and there's a picture of him, Sam Rayburn, a picture of him and Conley, and a picture of him and Johnson. Three shots from the rear, lone assassin. And I said, well, he's lying, or the other person's lying. I'm going to say he's lying. And as I went down the elevator from his office, I looked up and says, thank you very much. You told me everything I wanted to know. Because that man knew the cover-up. I don't know if he knew the particulars of the assassination, but he knew it was covered up. To this day, there's no doubt in my mind. And that told me that day that I'm headed in the right direction. In fact, the family member told me, you're right on, Zach. And evidently, he had conversations with the man before he died. But uh, I must have had six, seven, eight calls from various people around here. Uh, did, did, did the man call you before he died? I said, no, he took it to his grave. So that is something... I don't know if it means a lot to other people, but it meant a lot to me that we're in the right, we, we're on the right road. With all the evidence, I'm pretty sure that the Chicago mob didn't order some doctoring of evidence in the autopsy room at Bethesda. I'm pretty sure that they didn't call and tell the Warren Commission, make it a single bullet theory. So that leaves only J. Edgar Hoover from the FBI and Lyndon Johnson and possibly the CIA, but I don't think the CIA can call the hospital and do that stuff. So that only leaves the two. So who else could it possibly be that was involved, as taboo as this is? Now, that's a good question, Barry, and, and I will go as far as saying this. Uh, you, you know, we have, we have information uh, as far as Johnson or Hoover be involved in the planning and, and, and uh, the execution of the, of the plot 
I can't say that, and I would hope to God they didn't, but they very well could have. But as far as covering up from the first hour, it was covered up, no doubt, because I've worked many a major case. And on a major case, you have, you don't solve it within two hours. <laughs> you don't solve it within two hours, but yet you have J. Edgar Hoover saying on a memo, we have the lone assassin. No use to interview this one guy that Dallas Police Department sent in. Who goes into a movie theater during the day and says, hey, let's check out the movie theater during the day so we can find the killer? That, you know, I went to Dallas, Texas oh, 12 years ago, and, and, you know, there was a file cabinet that uh, Jesse Curry, the chief, kept that didn't, the information in it did, that he didn't give to the FBI. Because number one, the body should have never left, never left Dallas County, should have never went to Washington, D.C. It was evidence in a murder case, and they took it under gun, uh, point, uh, pointing guns at, at, at the people. So you're taking the evidence out. He appointed J. Edgar Hoover as the, uh, the FBI as the head of the uh, investigation, when in fact uh, it, it should have been the Dallas police. Uh, we didn't pass uh, the fact that we can investigate the death of a pr or the assassination of president after JFK. So there was no jurisdiction for the FBI at the time. It was a local murder case. So yes, they definitely covered it up. Now, three different sources, Files being one, Chauncey Ho being another, and one now that I, I can't give you, but there's three people that say the same thing, that in April or May, six months prior to the assassination, they were given words to start doing something. Uh, and this all comes, well, one through the mob, the two others through the agency. Now, I tell people at that time, that the CIA and the mob were one, one and the same. Uh, they utilized uh, Johnny Roselli uh, flying into Cuba, uh, they set up through John, uh, Mayhew in uh, Las Vegas. They, they set uh, Roselli and the CIA up together. And so it's the same people, basically, that are showing up in this assassination plot. So in order to cover it up, in order to do what was done, you definitely had to have government involved. Hey, everybody. Just a special reminder because of the content of this particular podcast if you didn't get to see the documentary film I Killed JFK, which was in theaters this past spring, or the five interviews of the last remaining living experts on the JFK assassination, which aired immediately following the documentary in those theaters, you can go to IKillJFK.com. You can check out the trailer. You can buy both of these programs. And I tell you, there's over 20 different interviews of experts and witnesses that will just take your breath away, including a confession of the only person who's living who ever admitted to killing JFK from the grassy knoll in the past 54 years. And with the release of all this JFK information, it's a must to have. IKillJFK.com, pick up these films I guarantee you, they will blow you away. Give me your greatest story that you have never told to anybody 
that you want to tell to the American people tonight or a story that hasn't been told that often, that's obscure, that really sheds light on things? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was Senator Yarborough of Texas at the time. He was in the, uh, yeah, that stands out to me. He was in the limo. This came straight from Senator Yarborough to a researcher that I've been in contact for years. Uh, and he told this researcher, who told me, so it's secondhand. But he got it firsthand from Yarborough. And that is when the uh, Johnson's limo took a right off of Main Street on the Houston. And if it, people that know, you got a whole block before you take a left on Elm, which is another half a block before the first shot ran out, rang out, that Johnson started slumping in the sea. And that's straight from Yarborough. Take it for what it's worth. But uh, the two things I just related to you about the brothers and uh, Marsh Jaffe taking money to, to LBJ is now I've never heard that or seen that anywhere in any of the conspiracy books. And my reaction with the congressman is definitely just me and him. So that, that right there, uh, along with Siebert, I mean, those two things right there tell me uh, that I'm on the right track. Is there hope in the future of the American people, the Kennedy family, the world, to have some kind of closure on what happened in Dallas in 1963. And if there is some closure, how do you see it coming about? And what are your thoughts on that? Well, Barry, I believe that any time since uh, 1963 that the American people would accept it is today. Uh, I don't know if they'd accept it. I think what I tell everybody, probably 80 percent of Americans believe there was a conspiracy. But I guarantee you there's only about 10 or 20 percent that really want to know. Because to uncover what happened in 63, uh, it would just break everybody's bubble. I mean, it, it would be devastating to to us Americans that the government actually kept this quiet for all these years. So I don't know if people really want it, but right now with, with the uh, corruption we see that is being brought out, uh, I think everybody's just about ready to know the truth. Now, will it happen in my lifetime? I don't know, but I mentioned to you that 50 anniversary when I'm watching uh, all these shows, I called another researcher I won't mention his name, but uh, I, I called him almost in tears saying, what, what are we doing? This is crazy. They don't even listen to us. And he said, no, Zach, let me tell you what. A person in 10 years or 15 will build on what we have, and they will keep building, and, and, and it will come out one day. So that's, that's the only I've, – I've done my part. Uh, let somebody else carry on, basically. I mean, I don't do much anymore, but – uh, from about 98 to about 05, I, I, I was almost every day on it. But uh, one day it, it will come out. Thank you so much to Zach Shelton. Zach, thanks for being here. Glad, glad to be with you, Barry. Thank you. As always, this is Barry Katz for Industry Standard. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you didn't like the show, tell all your friends. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, a review on the iTunes comment review section, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend 
a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Bobby Nono, January 4th, 2016. The title reads Game Changer, five stars. And he says, This podcast absolutely changed the way I view my career and consequently changed my life. Wow. Thank you so much, Bobby No-No. To me, you're Bobby Yes Yes. Congratulations. You are a winner. Special thanks to our sponsor, AquaTrue, the first countertop water purifier using multi-stage reverse osmosis technology. Check it out. Go to industrystandardwater.com. Takes you directly to their website. Type in the code 100. Save yourself $100. I have one of these. It's amazing. Start turning your tap water into the best tasting water. Industrystandardwater.com. And just a reminder, if you didn't get a chance to check out the film I Killed JFK or the five rare interviews of the last living people who were the experts on the JFK assassination, you can simply go to IKilledJFK.com, check out the trailer, purchase these two films. I guarantee you they will change your life forever. IKilledJFK.com. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going for life is for the dreamers. They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.